Today's episode of Pot on the Hill is brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Australia's leading social justice law firm, championing the rights of everyday Australians since 1919. To find out more, visit morrisblackburn.com.au. Remember that Pot on the Hill is available every week on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or your favourite podcast app. And if you have any questions to ask of us at the pod team, suggestions or inquiries, email us at podcast at vic.alp.org.au. Song about a man called Goth and a little boy wanted to be tarred with the same brush. He learned Latin, held his head up high, and he hated the liberals, though he didn't know why. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Pod on the Hill. My name is Conrad French, and hosting this week is Nicola Castleman. And this week, we are recording in the last week of uh, the Parliament sitting uh, in Victoria for the year, and we are joined by Ingrid Stitt and Danny Pearson. Hi. G'day. <laughs> All right, let's start at the beginning, Danny. Now, the first thing in Parliament was in December last year. Now, Danny, are you aware that you were the first Labor MP in the Assembly to be named? Is this a competition, a KPI? And if not, why not? <laughs> Very uh, Well, yes, I, I'm pretty sure I have tested the Speaker's patience on numerous occasions. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was first cab off the rank. Uh, look, for some of us, it, it is a uh, source of pride to, uh, to be ejected from the uh, House from time to time. Yes. <laughs> Uh, on a more serious note, guys, um, after the last election, we witnessed a historical first for Victoria. Women now make up 50% of Cabinet and 50% of lead ministers are also women. So there's two questions I have to ask. Ingrid, I'm going to ask you first. Um, the two questions are, how does striving for equality in Parliament and Cabinet lead to better outcomes in a practical way, um, not just in a symbolic way? Um, but also, how can we continue to make sure that we have diversity in our representative democracy, not just gender diversity, um, but uh, how can we build a system which welcomes people of different backgrounds and outlook to enter parliament? That's a that's a big question. I'm sort of trying to break it down a little bit. Um, well, first of all, on on the question of the cabinet and lead ministers and the fact that we've been able to uh, deliver fifty percent women. Um, I mean, obviously, culturally within the party and within the parliament itself, that that actually speaks you know, volumes, and it actually does make a big difference to the culture of the place, I, I believe. Uh, I'm a relatively new MP, so I've only been in the parliament um, since the last state election. Um, but I'm told by people who have been around longer that, that it does make a difference to the way that um, the chamber operates. And I think the caucus room of the Labor Party, um, you know, it's an enormous sense of pride for me um, seeing how many women there are in that room and, and also how many MPs we have elected now from um, culturally diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm, I come from a union movement. I come from a union where it was a female-dominated union and um, a lot of our work centred around pay equity and trying to actually make sure that women were paid properly, let alone represented at senior management levels. So I think that it's very important what you do in leadership positions, but it's equally important what you do for... Uh, women who uh, tend to occupy in many industries in Australia uh, undervalued and lower paid work. So I think this government has tried really hard to do uh, to tackle both of those challenges, both um, in the parliament, in the structures of, of the party uh, and also uh, in the public service in terms of um, the workforce that we directly employ as a government. 
um, but also um, with the great work of some of our senior women in the Cabinet, just the um, amazing effort around gender equality in everything, every portfolio that we have. Uh, and I think it, it is, um, it's not tokenism, it's real. And I, I point to the fact that um, there are women in some of the uh, most important portfolios that we have uh, in government, including delivering some of our massive infrastructure programs. Nanny, that question to you, we, we've got that, that diversity of, of gender um, now quite uh, quite spectacularly reached, um, but diversity on, on all fronts. How does the parliament become a place which is more welcoming to all diversity and, and how is it practically reflected? Yeah, look, look, it's a good question. I mean, I think that uh, what we're reaping the benefits of the early changes uh, from the 1990s where uh, quotas um, do work and... You know, I think from a, a point of view of um, gender equality, um, quotas uh, in this instance have worked, have been really successful. Um, I, I suppose it then probably gives us an opportunity as a party to think about, uh, in a broader sense, do we look at expanding quotas to other cohorts uh, in our community? Um, I'm not quite sure uh, what the answer to that would be or what the parameters you'd put around that, but I think it's a, a conversation that we can have with a sense of maturity um, because of the strong caucus that we have and the strong um, uh, Parliamentary Labor Party that that, that exists. Um, I think that uh, yeah, it, it probably requires further thought and, and, and reflection. But I think we're coming from a position of really really great strength. I mean, as Ingrid said, you know, we've got so many strong, talented women, uh, and our caucus represents um, our community, and so I think that's really important. Um, I think more broadly, um, you know, where the party can be welcoming of um, different cohorts um, uh, through uh, its membership base, that's a really important first start because I think for many of us, we learn uh, our craft, our skills uh, uh, in uh, our local branches uh, or you know, if you're a, a former uh, trade union leader like Ingrid um, through through that, that uh, experience as well. So trying to make sure that the party is a welcoming place for people from diverse backgrounds, I think is a really important first data. Um, now, moving to more recent changes. Now, you said uh, before we started today, Ingrid, that you're quite tired, you had a big long night last night. Um, that was the industrial manslaughter laws that were passed through the council last night. Um, I guess I, I want to know why why those changes are so important, but what were some of the, I mean, obviously a marathon setting, uh, session last night, I mean, firstly, probably go to you, Danny, first about what some of the, obviously in the House, it was much easier to get through. What, why do you feel it's, it's so important that these, like, these changes have been made? Yeah, look, I think for many of us in the Labor Party, it's really important because so many of us come from uh, uh, more humble backgrounds uh, where members of our family have worked in manual occupations. Um, my uh, father uh, was a butcher uh, and my father-in-law was uh, a bricklayer. And so I think many of us have seen that first-hand experience of the the physical toll these um, occupations can take, um, and uh, we've we've had members of our uh, our families um, injured at work, and so we've seen it firsthand. Um, for me personally, I've gone to trades hall um, most years that I've been a member for the um, the service each year to remember the workers who have died, and uh, I uh, remember being at the service, uh, and it wouldn't have been long after. Um, those two workers were killed um, up at Ballarat, and I, I listened to the stories from their families. And yeah, you know, look, that really um, affected me, and it, and, it, and it's stayed with me. And I think for me, this is look, this is what we came to do, right? I mean, you, you join the Labor Party because you actually want to uh, participate in parliamentary democracy to change laws to make 
the laws fairer and better for working people and to be able to be part of uh, a Labor administration that has actually done this is something I feel with, uh, it fills me with enormous pride. Now, Ingrid, you said before we, we started the episode that you quite tired from last night's session in which there was debate on industrial manslaughter laws that have been passed. Now, as a member of the Labor Party, this seems like a pretty obvious change. But um, firstly, Danny, why are these changes important? And Ingrid, what were some of the arguments against those changes? Um, well, it was the late night. Well, I think we got the bill passed at just before midnight. Um, so, and we started at about um, one thirty that day. So it was a long, a long debate and a long um, committee session where there were lots of questions from both the crossbench and um, the coalition. The major uh, opposition from the coalition was really around, um, in my mind, anyway creating a lot of what-if scenarios which were basically um, pushing the agenda of some of the employer associations who were just ideologically opposed for, um, to this reform. So um, I think the good thing about the debate, however, was that there were a lot of contributions from members of both the government and, and the crossbench which actually brought it back to, you know, what it's really about, which is about preventing serious injury and preventing death by having a really powerful incentive or, or disincentive for employers to cut corners on safety and a powerful incentive for them to actually look at, you know, in, in what ways can they make sure that they're looking at every risk in the workplace and trying to prevent um, workers from being uh, hurt or killed. So... Um, I was a little taken aback at times during the debate about uh, how cold and um, lacking in empathy some of the contributions were. I'm, I'm trying to be polite about it, but, but um, yeah. A bit too uh, polite about it. <laughs> like. it. It was quite um, staggering, actually, to hear um, particularly some of the coalition contributions. It w they just didn't get it, and they um, it appeared to me that um, when, you, when you kind of break it all down, they're just not committed in the way that we are um, to making sure that workers get home safe to their families. And the other amazing thing about last night was that, that the families that Danny referred to who lost their, their loved ones in that terrible uh, accident in Ballarat were in the chamber. They stayed for the entire debate. And it was extremely emotional when uh, we finally got that bill through. Um, and they are just the most remarkable people. Yeah, it's outstanding work. And I mean, obviously, just as a me member of the party, it's it's great to be associated with, with all of those changes. And I guess that, that's that one thing you sort of saw today is that the first person who has their life saved from this legislation last night, they don't know. And isn't that a great thing? Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Australia's leading social justice law firm, have been fighting for your rights for nearly 100 years because they believe that fairness is a universal right, not just reserved for the chosen few. They know if one person is denied the right to be safe, to be free, to be heard, or to be equal, then everyone else's rights are at risk too. And that includes you. So whether it's returning stolen land, protecting new mums at work, or demanding equality, Morris Blackburn lawyers help shine a light on everyday injustices. Because who knows when your rights might be affected? Morris Blackburn lawyers fighting for fair since 1919. To find out more, visit morrisblackburn.com.au. Um, on another piece of legislation which was hotly debated at the time and, and caused a great deal of public debate and was was 
uh, from what I understand, quite taxing on parliamentarians um, going through uh, that topic was the uh, uh, changes to the laws around confessional and the seal of confessionals for priests. Now, this was um, coming off the back of inquiries, including the Royal Commission into Institutional um, Sexual Abuse. So I wanted to get a sense from, from each of you, and Danny, I'll start with you, um, about the, the uh, drama and mood at the time, because it was a difficult conversation um, that was taking place in the debate and, and where you, um, you know, found the strength to keep on with that very difficult topic, which could be quite divisive. And, and how, how, as a parliamentarian, you deal with the level of, of feeling around something that is, from an, a legislator's point of view, um, you know, quite clear in, in the aims of the government, but very personal to people who feel affected by it. Well, I think uh, we've um, grown and matured as a society. And so... Um, I think that this would have been a pretty challenging reform to have passed 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. But I think that what we now, now know uh, is that uh, these problems have been endemic and at times uh, the state has been, uh, not I wouldn't say responsible, but hasn't provided that right, the, the right framework to prevent this stuff happening or try to expose it more effectively. And, and I think that... As a society and a community, we've moved on from now. And I think we recognise the fact that uh, there's a need to make sure that the uh, the statute books um, reflect um, the community's expectations. And I think the view of the community overwhelmingly is that um, the confessional shouldn't be a place in which um, these sorts of uh, abuses can be uh, covered up. Uh, and so I think we've, we've moved on as a society and I think that's where... I think people broadly, uh, where the community's at, um, you know, as a, as a individual member of parliament, uh, you know, the reforms were uh, overwhelmingly uh, supported by my community. Uh, and uh, I was absolutely pleased to be able to uh, cast my vote in favour of it. Yes, it was, a, it was a, uh, a long debate and an emotional debate in the upper house as well. Um, I think that, uh, I think that basically people took the common sense view that children's safety was more important than protecting, you know, a tradition. Um, and, of course, there were some, um, a couple of loud voices in opposition to that, but I think I've, it was actually not the closest vote that we've had in the, in the upper house. And, look, I, I do think one of the reasons why the government's been able to get through some pretty um, challenging reform and progressive reform in this parliament has been through the leadership of, I'm going to shout out Jill Hennessy on this one, because um, as the Attorney General, you know, she's seen through a number of really important um, progressive reforms like this one. Um, and just the way that she articulates um, our position on these difficult reforms and, you know, is incredibly intelligent in the way that she does that and, and consults uh, widely, I think that, that that makes a big difference. Once the legislation hits the parliament, you know, some of the more difficult work um, with stakeholders has already been done to such a high level that um, it makes our job easier in the parliament. Now, Ingrid, to a question uh, directed right to you, portable long service leave was passed this year for employees, employers in the employees, sorry, in the community services, contract cleaning, and security and security industries from July 1 this year. Now, as you're, in your previous role as the branch secretary of the Australian Services Union private sector branch, you fought for portable long service leave. How rewarding was it to see those laws pass? 
And what will it mean to those workers? Uh, well, it was huge. And I should say that it was um, both the private sector branch and the authorities and services branch of the ASU. And we did work, you know, collectively on the, on this reform. But there are people who have been trying to get this reform through for over 15 years. So it's been a really long campaign effort. Um, social workers and community services workers in particular tend to move around jobs, you know, a lot, and that is because of the way in which the services are funded that they work in. So it's not unusual for people to have to move um, between services as co as often as like once every two or three years or once every funding round. So this is a massive uh, win for the union and for those workers. Um, it's still a work in progress in terms of implementing all of the agreed reforms, and we are working through that um and the union's still continuing to work through some of those issues. Um, but, you know, it's going to be life-changing for some of those um, social and community services workers who are, who are not highly paid. They do amazing work. They work with some of the most vulnerable Victorians um, that were in our community. And, I were, you know, I was just absolutely thrilled and proud um, that the government uh, was, was up for this and... Um, saw through the election commitment that they made to the ASU. Now, Danny, I want to ask you also about something that happened in your local community. It may have started in Parliament, uh, but it is actually bricks and mortar in the seat of Essendon. We have now removed 30 level crossings, but one was obviously pretty important to you, and that is Buckley Street. Uh, can you talk to the benefits in your electorate of the importance of removing that level crossing? Oh, look, the Benefits have been fantastic. Uh, look, traffic's you now flowing um, easily. Uh, people are getting around more quickly. Um, you know, look, the, the, the boom gates were down for like something like, I think it was something like 87 minutes in the morning peak. Uh, it was just nuts. And you could have cars stuck there for 15 minutes. Um, and now that's just gone, you know. And there's been um, significant improvements throughout the precinct. Uh, and people overwhelmingly voted in favour uh, of the uh, of its removal because you know the booze in the immediate area, immediate area um, had massive swings um, to uh, to the Labor Party in the last election. So um, yeah, there's a, people out there I, I think really value and appreciate this level of investment in their communities. Uh, it's just fantastic. And what does it what has it done? Can I just get this stuff? And what have you seen now in that local area that that shows you not just about the practical amenities, but actually, does it does it give you a kind of self a uh, sense of satisfaction to see the the local environment just changing for the better and people being, you know, just uh, appreciative is the wrong word because it, it sort of makes it seem like there's a transaction there, but just themselves satisfied about improvements like that that are not only improving traffic but also safety. Look, uh, my community has been you know so fortunate uh, as a result of this government. I mean, the amount of investment that's flying into to my community uh, over these last four years is just uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, you know, the the level crossing would be probably one of the single biggest investments uh, my community has seen uh, in in decades, uh, and uh, it just look it improves safety, improves connectivity. Um, it's a, a significant improvement to. Um, the, the immediate area, and more broadly. Uh, you know, Buckley Street's a major east-west corridor uh, uh, in my community and, and, and the surrounding areas, and um, it just is such a great improvement. So, uh, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm really proud of, and I, I think if you look at the results last November, 
um, the electorate overwhelmingly voted in favour of this uh, level of record investment. And one of the policies that's been implemented this year is three-year-old kinder. Now, this seems like the kind of change in a few years' time we'll just take for granted, but it's going to make a massive difference to the, a lot of families in, in their lives. Now, you were both parents. Were you conscious of how hard it can be raising a family, especially when the kids are young, when this policy was passed? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that uh, you know, parenthood is a, is a wonderful gift, but it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, and uh, you, you want to make sure that uh, your children have the, the very best start in life. I think what we know is that... Yeah, wealthier families uh, tend to uh, ensure their kids experience three-year-old kinder, um, but we know that um, poorer families, uh, more disadvantaged communities uh, often don't have that uh, opportunity, either through cost uh, or uh, as a consequence of maybe not being necessarily aware that these programs exist. Um, so this sort of investment like it is just going to completely change and alter so many um so many kids and, and so many families. It, it's a critical investment. Uh, and, you know, we won't necessarily see the, the, the dividends in five years' time or 10 years' time, but I can guarantee you, like, in 20 years' time, people will look back on this decision and will regard it as a landmark decision made by this government. Yeah. Um, well, my kids are all grown up now, but um, I was always a working mother, so years of childcare. Um and I was fortunate enough to be able to afford to do that. And, and I know many uh, women in my community who were just not in a position to do that. And so, you know, big big sacrifices had to be made in terms of giving up work um, to care for children and not, and not necessarily having um, their kids get the same level of uh, early childhood education as we now understand, you know, is such... Of a, as such a benefit for um, children, not just at three and four year old kinder, but then it right into their primary school and high school years. So uh, it is something that uh, I take huge pride in talking to people in the Western Metropolitan Region about because I know that those um, investments are going to be made in three year old kinder right across uh, some of the seats that, you know traditionally have not had big investment in, in these areas of education, infrastructure. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to go and open a, a new refurbished kinder, um, which had expanded, added a few uh, extra rooms and a beautiful outdoor play area. And it was being um, geared up for the introduction of three-year-old kinder yeah. uh, in our region. And just the, um, the joy uh, of that particular community that are going to um, see the benefits of that um, it was just an absolute privilege to be there and, and be part of that and um, those stories are going to be replicated in hundreds of uh, kinders across the state and what a wonderful thing yeah, I must say as a, as a very new parent to that coming through is it's a it's a great it's a great change now normally we go to that that brings us to the end of our substantive questions for the episode and normally we go to our fast money questions however we have a slight change this week Nicola has uh, very, very well on found a bunch of quotes by either Kanye West, Donald Trump, or Montgomery Burns. Now your task is to buzz in. You've both got your buzzers. Can I test your buzzer there, there, Danny? And Ingrid. Now it's got a first one to buzz in. Is that first one to buzz in and give us the answer of who made that quote? All right. Statement number one. Who is it? Donald Trump, Kanye West, or Monty Burns? Who said this? I feel that I'm very blessed, but with great blessings come great responsibility. Ooh. I'm going to say Donald Trump. 
Ingrid, do your buzzer. Come on, come on. Come on. Uh, Montgomery Burns. Can you rest? You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> uh, statement number two. Part of the beauty of me is that I am very rich. Ingrid. Donald Trump. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> statement number three. Oh, where, where are we at? One, one, you're keeping score. Okay. Statement number three. Nobody can tell me where I can and can't go. Danny. Kanye West. Woohoo! <laughs> doing that, it's getting weird. Well done, Danny, you were right. All right, statement number four. You know, it doesn't really matter what the media write as long as you've got a young and beautiful piece of ass. Kanye West. Ba -ba oh. <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes. There we go. <laughs> the, face, wow. the facial expressions. Right I wish we were recording this as a camera podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, statement number five. My fingers are long and beautiful, as it has been well documented, are various other parts of my body. Donald Trump. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> the, shock. <laughs> the shock and revulsion. It gets better. All right, number six. You should only believe about 90% of what I say. As a matter of fact, don't even believe anything that I'm saying at all. Montgomery Burns. Ba -bow. Donald Trump. Ba -bow. Oh. oh. <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> number seven. I'm not, I'm not giving that one to Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> number seven. I'm not a fan of books. I would never want a book's autograph. I am a proud non-reader of books. Donald Trump. Ba -ba. <laughs> uh, Kanye West. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, statement number eight. I'm searching for a suitable young heir to leave my fortune to. My vast, 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 vast fortune. Montgomery Burns. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> statement number nine. Money was never a big motivation for me, except as a way to keep score. Uh, Donald Trump. Correct. Number 10, I feel like I'm too busy writing history to read it. Donald Trump. Bum, bum. Mm. Kanye West. That's right. Mm -hmm. Number 11, you know what uranium is, right? This thing called nuclear weapons, like lots of things are done with uranium, including some bad things. <laughs> Montgomery Burns. Bum, bum. Oh. <laughs> Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> this is terrifying. Number 12, <laughs> I've discovered the perfect business. People swarm in, empty their pockets and scuttle off. Nothing can stop me now. Montgomery Burns. Correct. Number 13. The man has no idea how to behave like a billionaire. Where's the dignity? Where's the contempt for the common man? Donald Trump. Bow -bow. Montgomery Burns. <laughs> Number 14. I think I do myself a disservice by comparing myself to Steve Jobs and Walt Disney and human beings that we've seen before. It should be more like Willy Wonka and welcome to my chocolate factory. Donald Trump. Bow -bow. Kanye West. That's right. Number 15, you will all be spending our day of independence slaving away at my mansion under the hot summer sun without pay, water or gratitude. Montgomery Burns. Correct. <laughs> Number 16, family, religion, friendship. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. Donald Trump. <laughs> Montgomery Burns. <laughs> Correct, but you had to think about it. I had to think about it for a moment, yeah. Last one. I hate politics. I'm not a politician at all. I care about the truth and I just care about human beings. Ironically, Donald Trump. Bum, bum. Oh. Uh, Kanye West. 
Correct. <laughs> what do we get? Danny was a run runaway leader with 10 to 5. Oh. <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> well, it, maybe it just shows your, your hope that things could be better between these three people. Um, thanks, guys. It was lovely to have you on the parliamentary wrap for the year of 2019. And let's look forward to an even better 2020. Thank you. Thank you. into words when I tried life felt absurd but you light the rooms of my soul I tell myself not to lose control and I'll take it slow but it's hard to do when you're a lion like me on a lion like you you got the hands that I want to hold you light the room to the house of my soul God damn My friend, he said you better play it cool The first thing I did was to break that rule Guess I'm a fool, should have known better But there's pain in my heart and I'm dying to get it Honey, you got the hand Like the room to the house of my soul.